and welcome to New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email Pastor Eric at erik.anderson at nllutheran.com. Pastor Ben, and welcome back to the New Life Lutheran podcast. Today, we are joined by a new member of our show. We still have Pastor Eric, our discipleship pastor here, and obviously, I'm, I'll be with you each and every week. But today, we're adding our our third pastor to the mix. So, we're welcoming Pastor Phil Gronbach, and he's our teaching pastor here at at New Life. And if you're wondering about the age demographics, uh, we have Eric. He is our discipleship pastor and our younger millennial. I am the elder millennial. I'm just on the cusp of that. I am the pretty much the oldest possible you could be to be considered in that category. And and then we have Pastor Phil, who is uh, about 50 years older than 21 or so. Yeah, I'm 74. There we go, 74. So that gives you a range. And so uh, we wanted to add him into the mix this week and throughout the next coming weeks because we think it's uh, very valuable to really hear truth from all generations and get unique perspectives from people who have had different experiences along the way. And so we're excited to add his voice to the conversation. And so this week, as promised, we're going to continue our conversation about life groups. And so over the past couple of weeks, we have been talking about life groups. And and basically, these are just smaller settings where people can learn and grow and connect with one another. And we've been talking about how they're biblical, historical, and beneficial to our lives. So this week we want to get uh, a little bit more in depth with those conversations and today we're going to dive into an acronym that we use that helps guide our life group setting. And so we use the acronym LIFE and it stands for life sharing, intentional caring, faithful living and encouraged calling. And so we have all of our life groups try to live those out and incorporate those into their setting to help them move forward in the Christian faith with excellence and to really make a transformative impact in our world. And so today, this is what we're going to do. We're going to put a lot of focus on our first letter of that acronym, which is L or life sharing. And so I'm just going to open up with this question. Uh, if I were to sell a life group to somebody and say, hey, a, a part of that conversation or a part of that experience will be life sharing. Uh, what I want to hear from you guys is why would that maybe have some appeal? And so I'm going to go to Pastor Phil first and have him answer that question for us. Um, my own experience has been in a small group where I share, I've discovered that it only really benefits when you're willing to open up and risk something. Because mm. I've, I've, I'm in a couple of small groups, um, a Bible study and then a, a grief group. And... Um, my experience has been when I open up and, and sort of talk about myself and reveal some deeper things, then other people begin to open up and share more too. In a grief group, it comes kind of naturally because you're carrying a, sometimes a real load of pain. But um, when you risk sharing some of yourself, that invites other people to do it. And if the group sort of has an understood we're not going to share much. It ends up being a dead group. Mm -hmm. And when 
when you're sharing some of yourself and you take that risk, um, people will join you and they'll start to share their story and it'll become an interesting group and it'll really become sharing and supportive. So it takes a little risk. You have to judge how much of yourself you're going to share. I mean, you, you, you test a group to see uh, how much they can handle, mm -hmm. but you, you sort of listen to each other you make that judgment, but you have to take that risk mm -hmm. and it helps. Yeah. So Pastor Eric, I'm going to send that question to you yeah. and uh, kind of just lean into that a little bit. Why would that be appealing to somebody when you're selling it? Cause you really coordinate our life groups. Right. Um, is that something that's appealing to somebody when you have those conversations? What is kind of drawn them in in this regard? Yeah. So I would echo what Pastor Phil said, where I think, I think that transparency and authenticity, or you can fill in whatever popular buzzword right in there, I, that, that realness that you share with people, I think that's probably the biggest sell, sale point for a group like this. Um, but I think that, uh, and I'm, and I'm sure that you're going to ask what, what maybe is not that attractive about life groups or about life sharing specifically. And I think that actually what makes life sharing attractive is also what makes it kind of unattractive. Um, and so right now in, in our, in kind of the church there, there are kind of two or three main modes of discipleship, like main ways that people disciple. And it's either uh, a behavior modification, right? Come here to get your life in order or, you know, whatever, we're going to study eight habits of highly effective people or, you know, it's behavior modification, which there's, there's a place for that. That's fine. But it's not, it's not gospel stuff. You know, that's not getting into the thick of it. Um, or it's like, uh, um, some sort of, uh, social justice oriented where to be a follower of Jesus means you have to adopt all these social justice positions, which surely disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus should care about the earth and they should care about the hurting. I mean, that's who Jesus identified himself with. So we should all do that. But the, what discipleship does in our world right now, it kind of boils all of the Christian life into one of those two main extremes. It's either moralistic, progressive training as a human, or it's social justice and, and being a social justice warrior. Um, and both of those opportunities feel really good and they're quantifiable. So you can say you can take these seven steps to become a better person or you buy into these uh, political views or you buy into these um, uh, these non-for-profits, then, then you've reached, then you've attained it. Um, we as Lutherans would not, that's not how we understand discipleship at all. In fact, disciple discipleship isn't a term that's often heard in Lutheran, the Lutheran world, just because more often than not, they just use the word believer. If you are if you are in Christ, then you are in Christ. Um, so we we kind of reject um, some of that progressive training. Like, hey, if you keep working hard and taking these steps and being trained, then then you will have achieved it. Um, so we, as as Lutherans, are um, in the biggest text that we would, or probably the seminal text that got all this started. How Lutherans understand. Um, the, the Christian life is the Heidelberg Disputation, Martin Luther from 1518, where he outlines what's called the theology of the cross, which means my development is not something that I do, but it's something that God does to me. And God does, God does his development to me through primarily suffering. <laughs> That's primarily how I, how I get better, um, is that God uses hard things and God uses pain and God uses suffering to, to soften me 
to his grace so that I'm, I'm, I can receive his grace more fully. Um, so that kind of changes it where for us, um, the bulk of discipleship happens in this life sharing realm because life sharing is when we get together and we, we bear each other's burdens. And I think as Lutherans, we honor that because we know that that's where God is primarily active. And I think it's C.S. Lewis. We were just talking about C.S. Lewis before we started recording. Um, he said, God, God uses pain like a megaphone. It's how he gets our attention and gets us. It's how he awakens us to him. Um, so what makes it attractive is that transparency, is that bearing each other's burdens and um, being kind of co-sufferers with one another. But that's also what makes it not very attractive because it means we kind of have to give up um, any hope that we might have of, of being better and just allowing God to use our lives as his tool. Um, so I would say what makes it attractive is also kind of what makes it not very attractive because it's a lot more fun to sound like, hey, I want to go and I want to get the 12 steps to be a better dad. Or I want to get the 13 steps to be a better son, you know, whatever it is. Um, but that's just not how we approach discipleship. Mm-hmm. So life sharing is is really kind of the crux of our life together as Christians is this pain, pain sharing. Yeah. So as we talk about that, uh, one of the words that keeps popping up is transparency. And so right away, you guys both said that's kind of an appeal, mm-hmm. like whether you're in a grief group or life group or Bible study, when you can get to that space with people you trust and you can be honest with them, it really helps you move forward in your faith journey. But what's what would be the, the natural kind of side effect of that or the thing within life groups that would maybe make people shy away, especially when it comes to transparency? What might actually be intimidating in that regard? I think... You, there has to be some sense of confidentiality. In the grief group I'm a part of, it's articulated very clearly um, because we end uh, the, uh, talk about bearing your cross. Right. Everybody oh, in that yeah. grief group is carrying pain mm-hmm. from a, a spouse, most of us a spouse or a child who's died. And um, so we tend to open up and share. And one of the things clearly articulated by the leader is that this is a place where we don't repeat what others have shared. And uh, so I think for this transparency to work, there has to be some kind of understanding, maybe articulated by a leader or something, Mm -hmm. that what we're sharing is confidential and we're going to respect that. And not spread abroad through every right. group we meet. Right. You know what well, you know what so and so said. And if that's there, then I'll be willing to share more of myself, mm-hmm. knowing it stays here within the group. Mm-hmm. Confidentiality is important. It's important in pastoral care. Yeah, and it's important in small group sharing. Yeah, I I take the um. I, there there are a lot of things that are unattractive about bearing each other's burdens and. One of the biggest things is that I have to admit that I, that I have burdens, you know, um, that I have to admit that. And, um, and so I think that this, you know, what you talked about with the grief group, um, the way that we kind of handle that, uh, that hesitation, um, well, one, you can't force people to, to bear their yeah. bear, you know, or to, to share their pain. We can't force people to do that, but we can produce an environment where that's allowed. So I, I take the AA, um, which I have, I've, 
done some work with Narcotics Anonymous specifically in one of my other parishes that I had before here. Um, and so I'm really, I think that a, the anonymous alcoholics anonymous, that system of the 12 steps, um, is great. And I think that they do a good job and especially, um, reading Luther and, and some of the Lutheran approach to discipleship. I think that there's a lot of closeness. They're kind of bedfellows. Um, and so I take the approach where it, everything's confidential unless it would, unless what the person shares is going to cause harm to them or to somebody else. Um, so if there's any concern of self-harm or there's any concern of, I'm so mad at this person, I could just, you know, X, Y, and Z, that's when, that's when you kind of step out of that realm and say, we need to address this more publicly. So when I coach my life group leaders, that's how I coach them is, is I kind of walk them through how AA does that confidentiality. And in our life groups, everything's confidential unless there's going to be harm caused by what the person shared, Mm -hmm. which I think is also, um, I'm not, I'm not familiar with how uh, the Roman Catholic Church does confession, but there are a couple of handful of things that might that, that can be broken. Uh, the confession can be broken if there's some issue. So we kind of take that where it's like generally overall, not even with pastors, can you share what you hear um, unless there's going to be some kind of harm that's brought about because of what that person said mm-hmm. or what that person thinks. So that's the approach that, that I take. Yeah. And we're talking about something that's definitely biblical. If we look into the book of James, we see a whole section of scripture that is directly correlated to this idea of transparency. And so I'm just going to read it for us today, and we're going to talk about it a little bit. Uh, but this is what it says. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faithful will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another Mm -hmm. that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power at its working. And so we see all throughout this section of scripture, this idea of implied transparency. And so I want to ask you guys, if if James was sitting here, right, the writer of this book, and he's just hanging out among us, um, why would he say that this scripture is important and why would it actually be helpful in, in one's life? Well, you're talking about the forgiveness of sins. And, uh, and that, you know, that, that the, the, the Easter greeting that Jesus gave his disciples, uh, it breathed on him and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Whosoever sins you forgive, they're forgiven. Whoever mm-hmm. sins you retain, they're retained. The office of the keys. Yeah. I often thought it was something for pastors, but it's really for every Christian. And so within that group, we can speak the forgiveness of sins to one another. And that, you don't have to have a pastor to do that. Any Christian can say it to one another. And um, the the, the Lutheran language for this is the conversation and consolation of the brethren, was the way I learned it. And it it implies the small group sharing kind of experience. Mm And I, and 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 if justification is, is the center of the Christian life, then why shouldn't that be communicated in the small group? Mm-hmm. Why shouldn't we be telling one another, you know, Christ died for you, you are forgiven, you can let go of that, you know? Um, so I, I think it's quite appropriate for that to be done in the group. Yeah, yeah, and I think, you know, also with the, in the small catechism, it lays out the, the Ten Commandments, um, the creed, then the Lord's prayer. And then when it gets to like 
the Christian life portion of the small catechism, it, it starts with baptism uh, of the small catechism. It starts with baptism and then right after baptism is absolution and then it's communion. Um, and then it goes on to talk about the other, it talks about morning evening prayer and then it ends with the table of duties, what pastors and bishops and fathers and mothers and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It's kind of the kitchen sink, you know, the, the junk drawer. It's not, not that it's junk, but it's kind of that, you know, everything at the end kind of gets lumped together. Um, so for Martin Luther, and I think, I think appropriate, I think that he's right on in his interpretation of scripture, the Christian life is one of facing, facing our shortcomings head on and, and confessing our sins. And so, yeah, that, that work of the absolution, as pastor Phil said, that work of the absolution is really kind of the, kind of the central way that it is the way that we live the Christian life. And then, yeah. and then, you know, sanctification, holiness, development, growth is done to us by the Holy Spirit. Um, but really our only, the only thing that we can do is confess our sins and then receive God's promises. Um, and so that confession, that confessing of sins is like, that is central to how we understand the Christian life being developed and, and growing. Cause that's the only thing that we really can do or can do. Um, and so, uh, when I think about my, uh, my life groups, um, we've hinted at this, we're going to do a more robust training in a, in a little, you know, I've only been here 10 months, so we haven't been able to talk about everything. I've hinted at it before, but we'll do a more, more robust training, um, where I kind of see, I think confession of sin specifically is important, but I also see confession as a more broad, um, in the law as a more broad, um, broadly applying, not just specifically, how have I transgressed God's specific commands mm-hmm. to me, but how have I, how have I fallen short of everything that God wants and has given to me? You know, how do I fall short of all those things? So it's not just, it's not just, Oh, I looked at a woman lustfully, but it's also like, Oh, I maybe wasn't as patient as I should have been with my wife. Right. Or I wasn't as patient with my kids. Those are also sins. And so that's like, that's kind of how I look at it more broadly than specific transgressions. I found that as I've grown older and uh, I'm no longer working 40, 50 hours a week, I have more time to think. And I think I've discovered that with others, people in the grief group, we tend to become much more aware of the ways we have hurt or offended oh, wow. people in earlier years of our life. I've got time to think and look back, mm-hmm. and I'm discovering things I should have said and done. And most of us in the group look back and think, I wish I would have done this for my wife or whatever. And mm-hmm. we see we, almost all of us have some sense that we have somehow failed our spouses, oh, wow. you know, and yet we loved them and cared for them and, and to the end, but still you can see those places where you've failed. Yeah, absolutely. I, I wasn't as loving, I wasn't as thoughtful, and um, that support group, when, we, when, we, when I shared that kind of thing about myself, another person chimed in and said, I know what you mean, that's exactly, mm. and that's those kind of things to transparency invites that kind of, I've been there too. Mm-hmm. And by your talking about it, you've opened, given somebody else permission to say, hey, I understand, I- I've been there too, you're not alone. And that's that's the other thing, is the loneliness in our culture, the, mm. uh, the isolation. A-, a group like this, when I open up and share, I'm not alone. Yeah. I don't have to present to you this sense of I've, I'm a great Christian. I'm really a great achiever. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm struggling to make it. And, and then other people chime in and say, you know, that's me too. And, and there's a freedom in that mm-hmm. 
freedom to be myself. And I think that's an excellent part of a group. Yeah. One of the interesting things that we see from the writers of scripture, even when they're recounting their own lives, you see this transparency and this honesty about their own failures. And it's almost comical when they write mm-hmm. down all, all the stupid things that they did and all the bad decisions <laughs> that they made. And I love the honesty because that, like you guys are implying, is when they're so honest, it allows us to be honest. Mm-hmm. And so I think one of the things we struggle with in church is we have this kind of filter up. I have to look good. You yeah. have to look good. Right. We wear our Sunday best. We look our Sunday best. Uh, but inside we're crumbling and it never really allows us to get where we need to get. And, and like Pastor Phil was implying is when you have someone who's struggling the same way you are and they kind of lead that conversation and are open and honest and transparent, it really gives you the freedom to have that same exact conversation say, I'm hurting too, or I'm struggling here as well. Mm-hmm. And so I think we really definitely miss the mark as Christians when we don't walk down that road of transparency because there's so many conversations, so many healing conversations that could transpire if we were just willing to look bad for half a second before we realize that everyone else truly looks bad as well. I was just having a conversation with um, a couple of our other associate pastors in our uh, LCMC churches. And um, we were just having this conversation where, um, you know, in other and not to be like rah rah Lutheran, but I'm I'm being rah rah Lutheran today, so I'm going to keep I'm going to keep going that down that road. Um, in other in other systems where growth and development is em- emphasized, um, they 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 may say that there's room for honesty and transparency, but if I've been following Jesus for 20 years, 25, 28, 45 years, and I haven't reached that level, then like I'm not going to be as honest. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to be able to be as honest. Um, which to go back to, to AA, um, to Alcoholics Anonymous and, and the Lutheran approach to the Christian life and the theology, you know, what we call the theology of the cross, you know, you go through the, the 12 steps of AA and there's never a step that says now that you've identified, cause there are a couple steps where it's like, identify, take a moral inventory of your life, identify places that you've hurt people, go make amends, but it never says now make an eight-step action plan to quit those bad habits. It never does that. The the power in AA, and this just shows you just how just how powerful transparency is. AA doesn't require you to believe in any um, any particular higher being. You can believe in any higher being, and people have found freedom from addiction just by having a general idea of a higher being, just by just by opening themselves up to transparency they've been freed from addiction um which is a nice benefit it doesn't really solve the the heart of the issue being that your will is still bent toward yourself you know it doesn't (laughs) and bill w he actually called those people dry drunks he's like they've they've been they haven't had a a drink of alcohol in 40 years but they're still immature he knows how he talked about it um but when we can confess our sins and put our trust in Jesus, when we're awakened by the Holy Spirit and we can put our trust in Jesus, that's when we experience true freedom. And so the crazy thing about AA is that it never, there's never like an action plan aspect. It's just the regular gathering together and confessing, standing up and saying, hi, I'm Eric and I'm an alcoholic. And it doesn't matter if you've been sober for 40 years, you stand up and you say you're an alcoholic. And that's to me, that's what church is. Every single week, no matter how long you've been following Jesus, you stand up and you say, hi, I'm Eric and I'm a sinner. And that's mm-hmm. what we do for confession yeah. and forgiveness. Yes. And we don't have an action plan to change that. 
because we are not the ones who change that. That's that's Jesus. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, Jesus' presence in us. And so I like, I just go back to that AA model where it's like, it's just a regular gathering and we take a fierce and honest moral inventory of ourselves. We, we you know, we right the wrongs that we can with people that we've hurt. But when it comes to the action plan to change, we don't change. And so just, we don't, we are not the ones who change it, but it's it's God who changes us. And so I think that's just, AA shows you the power of transparency, even if it's un, um, even even if it's not directed toward God. Um, just the just the action of being transparent, people can already find freedom from unhealthy habits, even if they don't find true freedom in Christ. But I think that's the you know. So it's like, man, imagine if you confess your sins and put your trust in Jesus, what 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 your life can look like and how transformed you can be, um, even if it's not you doing the one, you're not doing the work. And we do have a trans. We do have a ten-step plan. It's called the Ten Commandments. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Luther was he was really upset with the people of his time who were always inventing new works and new ways yeah. to achieve the Christian life. And he says, "Just do the ten work in the Ten Commandments." Yeah. I mean, if you, you go back to the basics and uh, and not legalistically, you know, right. that doesn't work. And I agree with everything you said about mm. the nature of grace and forgiveness opening the heart yeah. and. Once you've been in a living relationship with Christ and the Spirit, they the Spirit leads you. Right. The Spirit leads you. Right. It's spontaneous, is what it's, is what the reformers would say. Yeah. yeah. It's spontaneous, mm-hmm. and and uh, but if you want some steps, they're right there. They're called the Ten Commandments. Right. Yeah. You know? yeah. And they're pretty good, and, and they've guided people for centuries now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I want to get a little bit more personal now and, and talk about how you've experienced this in your own life. And so this idea of mm-hmm. transparency, whether it's led to empathy or accountability or even uh, kind of a confession element with a forgiveness piece to it, mm-hmm. um, how have you experienced that benefit in your, your own life, whether it was leading somebody through this or you personally receiving the benefit? I I, I would say... <laughs> One of the benefits of that kind of sharing is laughter, uh, oh. because when, as people open up and share and become more relaxed, it's amazing in this grief group the amount of laughter we share, mm-hmm. you know, and people are carrying real pains, but or in the in the, in a small group when you're sharing, there's laughter. You can mm-hmm. laugh at yourself, and we can, uh, and and the laughter is. Um, it's not humor, you know, something trying to be funny. It mm-hmm. just, by opening up and sharing, I think there's a release and I can laugh again. Mm. I can, I feel, and oh, wow. <laughs> laughter is a mark of uh, of um, that new life, I think. Oh, wow, that's good. Yeah, um, I would say my experience, I, I've had a confessor, somebody that I've confessed my sins to in the past. Um, that was freeing um, in many ways. Um, but I don't think, um, you know, I, I remember very specifically, I was a senior in college and I was in my dorm room and uh, it had been a hard week or something like that. And I was at the cusp of, you know, whatever sin. And and I just remember um, hearing a voice clear as day say, Eric, it doesn't matter how many how much you sin, you're still my son. I just like heard that ring in my ears. I didn't have a theological category for that at the time. Um, and struggled with that my early couple of years as a pastor. Um, 
and it hasn't been until the last couple of years that I have found that through um, these kinds of this kind of life with other people and uh, with with friends that I've had um, while I was in Madison, you know, reengaging in conversation with friends from college, um, that through this kind of, this kind of confessional way of living, where I I my name is Eric and I am a sinner. Um, this kind of transparency where I can admit that I'm wrong, I can admit that I've done wrong, and I can admit that I messed up, and that God's the only one who can bring me to to salvation and even bring sanity to my life. Um, it's it's the biggest thing has been a clear conscience where, and I still still screw up, right? I mean, I still sin, um, but I can face that sin and say, okay, um, I'm going to confess my sins to God, and I I know that He loves me and that. He's still pursuing me. So the biggest thing that it's affected in my life has been a clear conscience um, where it was like before just just racked with anxiety. Um, I mean, my first year, couple years as a pastor, I felt so guilty because I wasn't where I thought I needed to be mm. as a Christian. I mean, I was I was physically ill as because I had such a weight on my shoulders about where I, I was like, I'm leading these people and I'm still dealing with um, some of these sins. And so, I mean, I was like, I, it made me physically ill to have to go through that anxiety. Um, and this, the, the dread, the dread of not being accepted by God. And that was after I had had that experience in my dorm room, you know, so I hadn't had a category and I hadn't seen that drawn out in scripture until just the last year or year or two. And then um, finally felt release from that yeah i i wonder if if um our achievement culture really burdens us i mean mm -hmm. uh, we everything in our our culture is based on achievement yep. and reaching goals and purpose driven and yep. all that and and that uh that cripples us from being ourselves and um I'm so glad I was raised in Lutheranism and guilt. <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, but but I also he always heard grace. Yeah. And, and it's taken a lifetime to learn to receive that grace and receive it and and, and thank God for it. And, and as I get older, I wonder, Lord, I, I, why do you keep loving me? I, I can mm. see all these, but you keep loving me and you yeah. keep coming after me and and I'm just amazed by that love. And as I'm sharing in our Bible study, we, people chime in and say, yeah, I, I, I know what that means. And right. He still loves me, and I'm, I'm not perfect, and he keeps coming after me, the, you know, yeah. the hound of heaven pursuing yeah, me. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and I, you know, our whole world right now, this whole our whole self-help culture is all about um, you are enough. You have everything within you. You are, you are, yeah, you yeah. are. And, and, you know, People are people are working through that right now. I I'll be interested to see in fifteen years what happens when their their marriages are still messed up, their work isn't where they want it to be, and and we've been they've been hearing you are enough, and so man, it's so freeing to go to a worship service and hear you are not enough, and that's okay, and that's okay. <laughs> you are messed up, and that's okay. God loves you. And God is enough. And so it's rather than trying to find and cultivate my worth from within myself, it's like, oh, I, I am worth, I am worthy because God has found me worthy. Um, 
and that's freeing. You know, that's such a different, um, that's such a different approach. And you know, people will say, well, that you know allows you to sin, and you never, have, you know, that's and that's mm-hmm. not the case, right? Because if you and I and I think the formula of Concord uses the language: those who are truly believing will have good works. So mm-hmm. it's, if you actually have your trust in Jesus, then the then the good works, the growth, all those things will blossom. They will mm-hmm. happen. There will be fruit. Um, but you get to get told you are not enough and that's okay. You are not enough and that's okay. Uh, Pastor Ben, I want to hear from you. Mm. <laughs> uh, well, this has actually been a, a huge journey for me. When you think about this idea of transparency, I grew up in a tradition where we did a lot of what you'd call testimonies. And if you're familiar with that, that terminology, you probably grew up in a church similar to mine. And basically what those were, were those, your, those were your pre-Jesus years. And so you'd have a guy come in say he was in prison. He's like, I, I did drugs and I, you know, whatever, misused women and all this laundry list of things. And then he would say, but then I met Jesus. And the implication built into all those testimonies, even the ones that I gave along the way, was everything was horrible and then I met Jesus and then everything was perfect and I was perfect. And <laughs> and there really wasn't a space beyond that point in time, whatever that yeah, was or whatever right. term you use to be transparent because you had to be right. perfect. Right. And, you know, here's here's how that works. If you're fairly okay, right, uh, if you don't break the sins that are the big issue sins, like, you know, hey, I lied once in a while, that's fine. But as soon as you, you cross that boundary of some bigger issues, some maybe socially <laughs> less acceptable issues, <laughs> when you land there, there's no second testimony mm-hmm. in this kind of space. You don't go up there and say, well, and then I fell away and I did this. and But then, I mean, really, it was just and this a, time it's real. Yeah, this, this time, time it's real. Transformed. Yeah. So the difficulty for me growing up in a space like that is that's what it was, right? You could do whatever you wanted bad. But then when you came to Jesus or met Jesus or whatever, you know, dedicated your life or whatever term you want to use, then after that, it had to be the straight and narrow. And if it wasn't the straight and narrow, you were basically condemned again and you you were lost. And so what happened for me was I grew up in a very conservative town with uh, uh, great parents who were pretty strict, pretty heavy handed. And so I didn't do anything wrong because basically there, every one of my neighbors, every one of my friends, everyone I saw on the street would have reported me to my parents. And so, of course, I wasn't going to do anything wrong. Well, when I went to college you know, there's that space. I'm three hours away from my parents. I'm surrounded by a different social network. No one really knows me. And so you can have opportunities there to make some mistakes. And guess what? Like many people who step into college as a young adult, I made some mistakes. And so uh, what happened to me was because I had fallen into some sinful patterns and some sinful behaviors and, and I didn't live in a theology or space or I didn't have an understanding of God that he offered grace all throughout my life, I just got stuck in it. Mm. I got stuck in it because there was no place for me to be transparent because mm-hmm. I would have been condemned by my right. my fellow believers or my my church I was at. There there was no no space to have honest conversations. And so what happened was I got stuck in that stuff. I got stuck in that sin for way longer than I should have. Mm. And if I would have just had a a theology or a church network or some people who are grace oriented like like Jesus is grace oriented, uh, I would have been out of that way quicker. Yeah. But instead I lived in my shame and my yeah. guilt and I hid and I got caught up in it time and time again. And once you get caught up in something and you think there's no salvation, what's the point of not doing it right. is the other issue. And so 
for me, this idea of transparency didn't come from somebody. It just came from a realization as I read through the Bible and thought, look, there's grace in the front end. There's grace in the midst of it. And there's grace on the back end. And to live counter to that is actually disrespectful to what Christ did on the cross. Because what I was saying was, what you did is not enough. Mm. It's enough for my past sins, but it's not enough for my present or future sins. And so we know that Christ was the perfect Mm -hmm. sacrifice. And as soon as I held on to that, guess what happened? I was able to move out of those addictions and those problems and those uh, issues where I was straying from God's will and God's way so quickly because of how I understood that I actually would be welcomed back and could be welcomed back. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was unbelievable. And so if you're listening to this right now and you have some of those those things, I would say any one of our pastoral staff, and I know this is going to so feel so counter to what you have internalized or thought in your life, come tell us. Yeah, We're not going to judge you. We're going to say, right. uh, we too, like you, have our own mm-hmm. shortcomings and failures. We too have sinned. We're all sinners and there's space for forgiveness and grace and God wants a better way for you and he wants that relationship to be knit back together each and every day. And so uh, please come tell us, come talk to us, take the confession and forgiveness in church seriously. Mm -hmm. And when you hear the good news, when you hear the gospel, when you hear about Jesus, take that to heart. And any doubts about that is, is really just a disregard for what Christ has done. So please release yourself from those things and and move forward. Yeah. And I, you know, we had, um, thank you, Ben. That was, I really appreciate it. That was good. Thank you. Um, I had somebody come in a couple months ago whose marriage was failing and he's disconnected from the church and uh, didn't really know what to do and uh, just talked to him a little bit and he's a believer. Um, his wife really isn't. And I just said, you know what, man, There's I can't fix your marriage, but I can offer you forgiveness for all the things that you've done wrong to your wife. And I was like, would you like that? And he said, yes, I want that. And so right there, right here in my office, I said the absolution over him. I said, for Jesus' sake, your sins are forgiven. And um, and I said, that's what I can give to you. And so I forgave his sins and he left. And I've never seen him since. <laughs> I've never seen him since. But uh, um, I don't think that he had ever been told mm-hmm. that his sins were forgiven um, or that his marriage falling apart um, – could be forgiven. You know, I don't know if anybody had ever told him that. And uh, so, yeah, if somebody comes in to our office and they're struggling with something, um, we'll tell them we're sinners too. And I can offer you forgiveness. And, uh, and we'll say right there for the sake of Jesus Christ, God forgives you all of your sins and you are free. Um, And that's the, that's the beauty of sharing, sharing life with one another. I think. And I'm about to be 74 years old. And uh, uh, it's only the last few years that I feel like I've really grown. So <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> it it really is kind of amazing, you know. Uh, yeah, I, and I've I've been I suppose by confession and forgiveness, repentance, forgiveness, I, I've been growing all my life. But it it's 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 taken a long time. It's not. It's mm. like it's a lifelong journey. It is a lifelong journey of yeah. repentance and forgiveness. You don't. And 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 that Damascus Road experience, you know, that's supposed to transform everything, that really lays a burden on people. Yeah. And I'm sure there are people who whose lives have been transformed, right. 
But they're still sinners till they right. die. That's right. You know? now, even after the Damascus Road, Paul still had a thorn in his flesh, and yeah. he still said, I'm the least amongst the apostles, I'm right. the chief of sinners. I mean, he said that all after that Damascus, yeah. Damascus Road. Yeah. yeah, yeah, It's a lifelong journey. So <clears throat> no, we're not done. And I suspect when we get to heaven, we will be freed from sin, but we're going to keep on growing, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, we have a, a parishioner who, this was, I think this was right after um, she was struggling with some illness or something like that. And, and, and I, you know, I was talking to her, it was at a, at one of the services and I'm like, man, you know, I'm so sorry that that's happening. I'm so sorry that, that that's going on. And, and we were, you know, kind of talking about it and she goes, you know what? It's okay. Cause sometimes your faith has to be lived in a little before it gets teeth. That's what she said to me. And I love that. Um, Cause it's so, it's so true. Sometimes you just have to, you have to go through 70 years of, you know, growth and development before your faith, you know, really not that that's the case with you, but you know, that that's, that's how it is your faith needs to be lived in a little bit um before it can get some teeth yeah well i want to get uh, a little more practical on this last one i'm just going to address pastor eric because hmm. uh, we're talking specifically about life groups and this is really a space where we're trying to, to really help people move forward and so how do you create an atmosphere within these yeah. smaller communities where something like this can actually be lived out yeah so um we haven't addressed this yet. We've been dealing with some organizational stuff in our life group. So, so we're getting there. So if, if our life group leaders are listening to this podcast, this is where this will get teased. It's going to be fleshed out more fully in training, um, toward the end of this year. Um, but, but one thing that we do now is that we have that conversation about, um, confidentiality where that's, that's a big piece of it. Um, the other thing is, is we need to get our leaders to a place where, um, doing is not, the number one thing on their list. You know, we need to get to a place where leaders are okay with taking time, uh, to, to share with one another, even if that means they're not learning anything at the time or, you know, doing a Bible study at the time, you know, we, we have lots of opportunity to do Bible study. You know, we have, there are podcasts out there. There's, you know, internet videos, there's, you know, pastor Phil's classes, there's Sunday morning, you know, we have lots of time for Bible study and there are good, times to do that. Um, we do not have a lot of time right now to do life sharing in our culture. So you can listen to podcasts and do Bible studies mm-hmm. in your car on the way to work. You can, you know, you could listen to podcasts while you're at work, depending on what you do. Um, and so what we need with our groups is not so much information transfer, because there's lots of information right now. We're in the age of information. Um, but it is that life sharing. That's going to be really the main thing. So um, we actually just had a training in February or March. I can't remember where I, I taught, I taught our leaders how to ask good questions and I taught them how to, um, guide a conversation, um, toward truth, even if you, even if you're not prepared to. Um, so we talked about three, it was this whole thing, but three levels of questions and how you can dig down into people's, you know, what people are getting at and, um, really what's going on in people's lives and then helping kind of direct that to scripture. That's kind of what we talked about. But so what we've done so far is we've talked about asking good questions and how do we ask good questions. Um, but we'll move on and do more training on what does it actually look like to do spiritual direction. It's kind of the classic, the classic language for that um, is the classic language for discipleship. Um, but how do we walk with people through their life with God um, is really what we're talking about. Yeah. So we'll do that more, more fully, but right now it's been, how do we ask good questions and later we'll, have more conversation on what does it look like for somebody to live the Christian life, to, to suffer from guilt, 
to be freed from guilt by the gospel and some of those things. Yeah. So this is what we've seen this week. We've been talking about the life sharing and the transparency. And if you've listened to this, you probably think this is something I need in my life. This is something I, I want in my life. And so uh, whether it's a life group or uh, just someone you trust to have those conversations with, hopefully you can find that space and hopefully you can be intentional about this because as you've seen, it's it's not just practical, it's biblical. And so I, I love James's writing. There's some strong implications for us, a challenge to all of us, everyone in this room and everyone listening. And so hopefully you can find a space to, to step forward in that realm in your faith journey. Uh, next week, we're going to continue the conversation and we're going to talk about the I in our acronym and it's intentional caring. So how do we care for each other well as believers, especially in these smaller, close-knit communities? And uh, so I hope you join us next week as we continue this conversation between Pastor Eric, Pastor Phil, and myself as we talk about intentional care.